You guys, welcome to episode 89 of The Smushroom, the podcast that deep dives into well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Troy McEady. How's it going? Your podcast host who is slowly but surely approaching 100 episodes, which is fucking insane. Like, how did that happen? How was it so long ago that I was shocked that we got to 50? How, where does time go? How, I mean, every week for over a year, it's crazy. I can't believe that that's a thing. But um, I'm very excited about today's episode. I know I say that literally, I've literally said that 89 times, but like, I truly am very excited about today's episode. I had this revelation the other day. I was playing Vigia games and I was sitting on the couch and I was just sort of like in the back of my mind thinking of couples to talk about because, you know, my biggest fear, and I guess it's impossible that this will happen because couples just recycle themselves and there's always there's always somebody to talk about. But, like, my fear sometimes is, like, what if I just, like, talk about everybody interesting and then at a certain point I'm only left with people who are just boring as shit? And then what do I do for the next several years just talk about, like, mundane, boring relationships? I can't do that. And I was going over people in my head and going back and forth and thinking and thinking. And I thought to myself, you dumb bitch, you stupid bitch, you've done it again, made a fatal error. How dare you? I literally wanted to go in my bathroom and look in the mirror and dramatically throw a glass of water at my reflection. That dumb bitch in the mirror that I saw. How in God's name did I allow myself to not record all this time, we've spent over a year together, we're at episode 89, we're approaching 100, and not once have I talked on this podcast about Gwyneth fucking Paltrow. How dare I? How dare I? Are you kidding me? Who the fuck do I think I am? I'll tell you who I think I am. I'm a dumb bitch. That's what it is. I am disgusted with myself. I have no excuse. Um... I'm embarrassed, and I hope to grow from this experience. I mean, I don't really know what else to say. I'm I'm in shock. I have not done an episode on Gwyneth Paltrow, truly a pioneer in celebrity relationships when it comes to uh, weird celebrity baby names, um, the whole consciously uncoupling, and I just have so many thoughts on Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, Gwyneth is in that sector of uh of it girl that i fear that i feel terrible for where like it's like everything she says and does in my opinion you don't have to agree with me and i know a lot of you won't but i think a lot of the things that you guys judge Gwyneth paltrow on is just completely fucking unwarranted like i think that you guys need to have a moment with yourself in the mirror if you want to have if you really want to know the truth i think we all need to lock ourselves in the bathroom dim the lights if you have that that option and Look in the mirror and ask yourself, what am I projecting onto Gwyneth Paltrow? What has she done to me? So, you know what I mean? It's like she likes a $4,000 pair of flip-flops. Good for her. Who cares? Why does everybody have to be relatable? In some aspects, Gwyneth Paltrow is not relatable. And to me, that's fine. In the same ways that Ina Garten is not relatable. And that's fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, whenever I talk to people about Ina Garten, they always talk, people who don't like her or people who aren't fans of her, they always talk about, by the way, we're four minutes in. Like, can we talk? Uh, haven't taken a breath. Um, but 
people who don't like Ina, who don't like the Barracuda Foot Contessa, always say that she's like pretentious and that she's unrelatable and blah blah blah. And it's like you can have your I don't your like re drummins. You can all have your pioneer gals. Sure. I prefer to watch Ina pop the collar of her denim her denim button up and cut rosemary from her maze garden. Sure. And is it pretentious? By some people's standards, sure. But she's unapologetic about her life. And that's how I view Gwyneth Paltrow. I I just think Gwyneth is unapologetic about her life and the things that she likes. And she likes expensive things. And she likes to eat organically. And she likes yoga. And she's unapologetically herself. And I just don't think that there's any problem with that. Not everybody needs to be fucking Jennifer Lawrence. Not everybody needs to be a hot dog at a ballpark gal who snorts when she laughs and likes beer. It's like not everybody has to be a cool girl, you know? And Gwyneth is not a cool girl. But the thing is, though, I actually do think that Gwyneth Paltrow is a cool girl. Like, from what <laughs> what from what from I know of Gwyneth Paltrow, I feel like she's chill as fuck. Like, she's a girl who likes to get drunk and... And, you know, occasionally chain smoke, even though she says that she's no longer a smoker. There's photographic evidence that proves otherwise. And, you know, dance in her kitchen to, like, 80s music. Like, that's the who I picture her to be based on interviews and things. I don't see this, like, Kate Spade buttoned up to the collar woman that you guys see. I don't know. And I know that there's some goop heads out there listening who agree with me who are, like, who don't hate Gwyneth Paltrow. Do you guys remember that year that Gwyneth Paltrow was rated? I think it was like, what, 2017? Or it may even have been last year. She was rated the most hated celebrity over Chris Brown. Uh, That's projecting. (laughs) Like, if there was ever a moment where you all... And I'm saying you. I'm taking myself out of the equation. You all needed to look in the mirror and say, okay, what are we doing? Over Chris Brown? Give me a fucking break. You hate Gwyneth Paltrow more than Chris Breezy Brown. Get the fuck out of here. Anyway, we're going to be talking about Gwyneth Paltrow and another favorite of mine, Brad Pitt. What does he think he's Brad Pitt? He thinks he's Brad Pitt? Here's the thing. I have done two Brad Pitt episodes now with my friend Shira, uh, Shira Weiss, and um, we didn't really... We had a lot to talk about. We were talking about Brad and Angelina and Brad and Jen, and we got really deep, but I didn't really get like deep, deep into Brad. You know, <laughs> um, you know that I like live and die for Brad Pitt, and I. Uh, this is a, an episode that may really ostracize a lot of people. Is that the, that's not the correct term? But you know what I mean, ostracize. No, um, huh? You know what I mean. Anyway, um, I love Brad Pitt. I think that he's one of the greatest uh, actors of our time. And, um, I've never really gone, like, deep, deep, hardcore, serious into Brad Pitt the way that I usually do when I record episodes alone. So I figured this deserved a, uh, a revisit, especially because, um, through the guise of Gwyneth Paltrow, Brad Pitt is a very different person than he was when he dated Angelina and Jennifer. You know what I mean? So I'm excited to get into it. We are seven minutes and 30 seconds in, and I haven't truly started yet. Um, I, I will be honest with you. I just had a cup of coffee. It was my fourth of the hour, and it may have been the one that took me over the edge. So it's going to be one of those one of those episodes. Just grip my hand and <laughs> come along with me on this journey. So Brad Pitt and uh, Gwyneth Paltrow started dating in December of 1994, 
They got engaged in December of 96 and they ended their engagement in May of 97. Um, Brad and Gwyneth started um, dating after starring in a film together. You may have heard of it called Seven. And, you know, Brad really became Gwen's. Uh, <laughs> I wrote my notes as Gwen because her and I became first name gals. We became nickname gals by the time I was done doing my notes. So she's Gwen to me right now. Um, but he became her first really high profile, big giant celebrity Hollywood. Like, can you guys, I don't know, hold this bottle of soda and walk down whatever boulevard so that you can be photographed couple. Do you know what I mean? This is a really big deal. Um, you know, given who Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow are and the impact that their relationships have had on pop culture, it's massive that this was kind of a, a groundbreaking relationship for both of them. Gwyneth was 22 years old when she met Brad, who at the time was 29. And she blames being young and vapid and shallow, um, as you know, the reasons that the relationship didn't work. Brad also wanted to settle down and have children, which is something um, that kind of followed him throughout his life until he met Angelina. Um, and there's also, I mean, look, there are tons of rumors as to why they broke up. The thing that I found really odd about this relationship is that even though it's one that people have all these feelings about and people revisit all the time and kind of make fun of in a lot of weird ways and, you know it's a relationship that garners a lot of feelings for people. The reasons they broke up have never really been, I think it was like as recent as 2017 that Gwyneth finally kind of opened up about why it didn't work. Um, but it's been very kind of hush hush for however many years and we're going to get into it. There's many theories, but one of them is that Gwyneth cheated and we'll talk about it. I don't know. I'll text her. You know what I mean? But I don't know. I, I don't want to condemn goop that early um so yeah we can go ahead and get started with Gwyneth who was raised in LA she um was actually raised in LA partially in Santa Monica and in New York and uh as we all know she's the daughter of Blythe Danner the electrifying chanteuse slash actress uh her father was the producer and director Bruce Paltrow who died in 2002 um, Bruce actually passed away on Gwyneth's 30th birthday trip to Italy. Um, and when Gwyneth started dating Chris Martin in 2003, he wrote the song Fix You about wanting to heal her from the loss of her dad. And um, she also has one brother, Jake Paltrow, who works in the film industry as well. Gwyneth's half cousin is Catherine Moaning, who you may also know as Shane from The L Word. Um, who you also may know as the girl that like literally made every woman listening to this have lesbian feelings for 10 years, thanks to HBO. Um, she's also related to Rebecca Paltrow Newman, who was married to Adam Newman, the Israeli billionaire who funded WeWork. And the list just goes on and on as far as her family tree. Her godfather is Steven Spielberg. I mean, it, it, it she's just, she was born for greatness, truly. Um, while living in Santa Monica, she attended Crossroads School, which is a wee bit iconic. If you feel like doing some digging yourself on the interwebs, it's interesting. In 2004, there was a book written about this school called the Hollywood, or it's called Hollywood Interrupted. And it focused on 
just like the insane amount of sex and drugs and partying that were taking place at that school, um, a school designed for celebrity children. Jonah Hill went there. Um, Zoe Deschanel, Kate Hudson, uh, Maya Rudolph, uh, Gary Coleman. Uh, the list just goes on and on. And I actually read a Refinery29 article about this school, and it just honestly sounds insane. Like, you had people like Meg Ryan in the carpool lane, like, dropping off Capri Suns for the kids. And you had Denzel Washington um, as the assistant basketball coach. Uh, Dustin Hoffman would randomly pop in to do, um, like, guest lectures for film classes for these kids. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. And her family then moved to New York where she was enrolled in Spence, the private girls' school. And it was a lot of the same thing. Uh, you had Carrie Washington went to the school, Jay Jagger, Emmy Rossum, little, little Edie, can we talk? During her days as a socialite, can you imagine walking through the halls and knowing that little Edie's spirit fills them? Insane. One can only hope that one would get Oda made <laughs> and have little Edie, like, enter your body and force you into, like, a flag dance down your school's hallway. Um, Gwyneth obviously grew up watching her mother act and you know, knew from a very young age that that was something she wanted to do. I've heard her describe the experience of sitting in an empty theater, watching her mom rehearse and sort of command the attention and the authority of everyone in the room and just being really sort of entranced by it. She spent several summers hanging out with her mom while she performed at the Williamstown Theater Festival in Massachusetts. And her daughter... I'm sorry, her debut as an actress was in uh, in one of her father's TV films called High in 1989, which also starred Zach Braff. Uh, she made her stage debut at the Williamstown Theater with her mom um, in 1990, which was followed by her first major film, Shout, starring John Travolta. And one of the really fascinating things about Gwyneth and her upbringing so she claims. Now, I can understand how things like this turn people off because this is such a bold, blatant lie. But according to Gwyneth, her parents completely cut her off and she was living in New York City and like totally broke when she had made the decision that she wanted to be an actress. She said that her father was initially the one who made the decision to cut her off and basically told her that he wanted her to fully develop as a person and not to be this asshole daughter of two successful people that never really had to work hard for anything. And she did an interview in 2014 with, uh, the, with Telegraph UK where she said, I grew up with the benefit of a great education and a beautiful house, but my father always said, the day you leave, that's it. You're not getting anything from us. He stuck to it. He was so, so hardcore about me making my own way. I've earned everything myself and I've never taken money from anyone. My father really pounded that into me, so I got the message. Um, she also told Page Six in 2016, people think she's this rich kid and people think she's just a rich kid until I was 18. And I was. But then I was broke and I've never taken a dime from my parents. My mother, uh, the mother too revealed, I completely, I'm completely self-made and I went to UC Santa Barbara. And when I quit to try and be an actress, my dad was like, 
that's great, but I'm not going to help you. And I was like, yeah, right. And he was like, no, I'm not joking. I'm really not. So I got an apartment with a roommate. I worked as a hostess at a restaurant. I would scrounge quarters to buy Starbucks and walk there to save gas. I remember asking my dad for money, like, please, I'm really stuck. Can you help me? And he said, you're more than welcome to come home for dinner, but that's going to be it. Those were the days enough to know the value of money. Uh, now, look, do I believe that Gwyneth Paltrow was like on her knees scraping dimes to get a Starbucks? No. But I do believe that in her mind, in the mind of a girl who grew up having everything she wanted given to her, this beautiful, sort of wafy, Upper East Side, privileged, wealthy girl whose parents were in the arts, you know, I'm sure in her mind and her small view of the world at that time, that not having an unlimited amount of money given to her by her family meant she was, in quotes, cut off. But I also read... Um, interviews from friends that she went to school with that said, like, well, no, I mean, she had money. Her parents gave her, a, like, a credit card, and she was able to spend it as often or as much as she wanted. Like, that's when it, that's a lie. And I'm going to text you about that. I know that you're listening. I'm going to reach out to you just to kind of, like, help you maybe not say things like that so we don't end up on any more most hated, of, most hated celebrities of the entire world lists. We don't want to be beating Chris Brown in no pun intended, by the way, truly. Um, but we don't want to be, like, w- winning the race against Chris Brown for being the most hated person in the world. Um, she was also uh, cast by Steven Spielberg in the film Hook as Wendy Darling and Flesh and Bone, um, where she played James Caan's much younger girlfriend. And that film also starred Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid. Now, the really interesting thing about Gwyneth Paltrow during this time, the time that she met Brad, was that she was kind of, I'm not going to say that she was a nobody, but Gwyneth Paltrow was not the name that she became. You know what I mean? She was a young, beautiful, up-and-coming actress that I think, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow is somebody, especially when she was younger, that you look at. And I do think that we do have this tendency to kind of project from her or off of her or on, I don't know, on her, we project what we see, because she kind of gives off this, this aura of this, uh, like I said, this, like, wafy Upper East Side, you know, chain-smoking, like, hanger who can wear anything, who's never had to work a day in her life, like, all of those things, which also, I feel like directors would just naturally do the same thing, and I feel like that's what happened to her, when she got cast in all these roles, like, Emma, which we'll talk about, and, you know, Shakespeare in Love, and she was being cast a lot as as exactly what I just described, like an Upper East Side wealthy woman, a bitchy woman with a cell phone in 1995, which was chic, or, like, you know, in some period piece, where she's also, like, a pale, wafy, wealthy girl. Um, We do have to talk about Brad Pitt for a minute, though. As I said before, we've talked about Brad on this podcast, but not during this time. And I've never really gone like deep in my thoughts and feelings about Brad Pitt. Um, Brad was born in Shawnee, Oklahoma. He grew up in Springfield, Missouri. And his dad, William Pitt, was the owner of a trucking company. Uh, his mom, Jane Etta, was a school counselor. Uh, Brad has two siblings, Julie Neal and Douglas Mitchell. And he had a very typical sort of middle American upbringing. He was very heavily involved in high school. 
He was in musicals. He was on the debate team. He was in the forensics club. Your boy was a nerd. And uh, he was raised in the in an environment that really valued education. His parents wanted him to, you know, get a degree and get a blue-collar job. Uh, he was accepted to at the University of Missouri in 1982, um, where he majored in journalism. And Brad actually decided two weeks before graduating that, you know, tying himself down to a regular nine-to-five job would never be something that would make him happy. Um, secretly, he always wanted to be an actor, so he moved to where he could act because... Weirdly, in Springfield, Missouri, big breaks weren't happening for a lot of people. Big Hollywood breaks. Um, you also have to understand, as I just said, Brad Pitt's family is is about as middle American as they come. Uh, they're hardcore Southern Baptists. And, you know, he had parents who taught him to kind of play by the rules and be appreciative of any like good blue-collar job with benefits that comes along. You snag it, and you get married, and you stay close to home, and you have kids young, and that's just what it is. Um, so it was really wild, not only that he wasn't going to graduate, that he was dropping out two weeks before he was going to get his degree, and that he was moving to Hollywood. Um so after getting his, uh, after moving, he packed up his life and moved to LA. <laughs> after moving, he packed up his life and moved. And, uh, he signed up for acting classes and worked random odd jobs, very sort of cliche. Um, he took acting lessons from Roy London, who also taught Hank Azaria, Patricia Arquette, um, Patrick Swayze, uh, Sherilyn Finn, Gina Davis, Elizabeth Berkeley, the list goes on. And Roy was a really big influence in Brad Pitt's sort of becoming Brad Pitt. He said in an interview with Backstage, uh, when I first moved to LA, I discovered Roy London. I don't know anything about the, he said, I didn't know anything about the arts or the profession. I had no technique. I knew nothing. He said, I'm fresh from Missouri. I sat in on a few classes and they all just felt a little bit too guru-ish to me. And it didn't feel right until I met Roy. And he said, uh, I'm sorry, he made his acting debut in 1987 in a film called No Way Out, he was uncredited, and he also starred in No Man's Land and Less Than Zero, which he was also uncredited for. Um, of course, as I always say, very cliche of every successful actor, Brad made a bunch of television appearances on shows that you would totally expect a young, attractive, aspiring actor in the 80s to be on. Uh, he was in Growing Pains, of course, you know, 21 Jump Street, Another World, uh, he made guest appearances on Head of the Class, uh, a personal favorite, he was in a few episodes, I think he was just in one episode of uh, Freddy's Nightmares, you guys know that I live for horror, and Freddy's Nightmares was this like short-lived Twilight Zone style television show, um, where every week they would do a bunch of short little dream sequences, these little like story, it was like Tales from the Crypt at Freddy Krueger, it was amazing. And Brad Pitt was in an episode. Um, and I just have to say, one of my all-time favorite young Brad Pitt moments uh, came from a little NBC TV movie called Too Young to Die. If you've heard of it, message me, DM me, comment below, swipe up, click here. Seriously, like, if you know this movie, 
we need to meet up at some point and get drinks and gab because it is means so much to me. Um, it stars Juliette Lewis. And it's basically a movie about a teenage girl who was abused. She's molested. And she's she lives in a trailer. Her, her family is very, like, sort of cliche, like, early like 80s TV movie white trash. You know what I mean? Um, saying things like, I reckon. You know what I mean? Things that people don't ever really say. Um, and she basically gets molested by her, uh, her mom's abusive boyfriend. And it's based on a true story about this girl who, she, she basically murders her mom and her, this, and this, her stepdad. And, uh, she's underage. And there's like this whole thing of like, did she deserve to die? Did she deserve to get the death penalty? I think she was like 16 or something when it happened in real life. And Brad plays her manipulative hillbilly, like slime ball boyfriend. They end up falling in love and they kill her parents together. And not only is this movie incredible, especially for being a TV film, but there's something about a young Juliette Lewis and Brad Pitt together on screen. It's just, it truly sends shivers down me timbers. Like, honestly, it's like, and this is the predecessor to another movie that we're going to talk about in a little bit called California, which is actually in my top five movies of all time, starring Brad Pitt and Juliette Lewis. Um, they essentially kind of play the same characters, each, these two like hillbillies, um, and Brad's like a sleazy, creepy murderer, and Juliette Lewis is this like really naive, um, innocent, like white trash girl who you just want to swaddle um and i'm just gonna say that juliette lewis remains my favorite scientologist like there's no comparison to a young juliette lewis and like on and she's there's no comparison between her and anybody the screen presence that a young i'm gonna stop saying young juliette lewis but that she had when she was young on camera is just like beyond anything I feel like I've ever seen. Like, the innocence that she was able to convey, I love her. So if you've not seen Too Young to Die, I'm pretty sure it's in full on YouTube. And if you've not seen California with a K, I highly suggest you get your life together. Um, The biggest role of Brad's career up to that point was in 1991 uh, in the Ridley Scott film Thelma and Louise. Uh, up to this point, he had spent years as this sort of supporting character, um, or he was uncredited or just sort of like somebody in the background, um, but never really celebrated for how truly talented and charming he was on camera. And Thelma and Louise positioned Brad as a sex symbol. And the really interesting thing about this sort of era of Brad's life is that he was an actor of no substance up to that point. You know what I mean? He was hot. He had washboard abs and an incredible smile. Obviously, the camera loved him. Um, audiences responded very positive to, positively to him. But that was about it. We didn't know anything about him yet. And we hadn't really been given the opportunity to see him not only as a leading man, but like as somebody who could like really, really just like fucking act their ass off. And I read in a 2012 backstage interview with the same one that I mentioned earlier uh, with Brad, um, I'm sort of describing this sort of description of him that I think summarizes him in the best way possible. Like it's basically everything I've ever tried to say about him on this podcast, but never been able to convey in such a perfect way. Um, 
but they describe him as one of the greatest character actors of our time trapped in the bone structure of a leading man and like that truly blew my shit away like if i had hair it would have been blowing my wig would have just plummeted to the ground um you know he's really had to grapple with that like since the 90s he's spent his entire career kind of running from being a leading man and also leaning into it very heavily when it's convenient and i think he's very conscious of the fact that he has that face and that if he wants to do something, you know, like he, he went from playing a character in Thelma and Louise who looked like somebody that teenage girls would hang on their walls, which they did. To then he went on to star in California, the movie that I mentioned just now, um, where he grew this big giant beard and he didn't shower for like weeks and he had a dentist professionally chip all of his teeth. Um, he and, and he like really, really got into it. Where he like in that movie, he is a scary, gross, like early fat Billy Bob Thornton like creep. Like he's like disgusting. Um, but it's also the same man who plays an actual porcelain doll in Meet Joe Black, and then an Adonis in the movie Troy. You know what I mean? That's the thing that I think makes him so sort of like puts him in his own category, especially in comparison to people that he is often compared to people like George Clooney, you know, the men that you think of, um, like George Clooney is somebody who's never taken risks like that. And Brad Pitt is somebody who's definitely not afraid to take risks when it comes to the roles that he chooses and also the way that he looks when doing them. Um, he went on to star in a string of massively huge hit films, obviously. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, you'll get me and Molly's, uh, Brittany and Kevin chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to Molly and It'll take you straight to it. And, uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So like I said, patreon.com slash EB psychos and Molly and the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.